Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1253 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday in early June, heading into Monday and a new week on the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is covered with all the stuff that you need in the sports world this year, and that includes more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And today's show will be myself and Glenn Willis, front of the podcast for Peachtree Hoops, talking about Anyeka Kongwu, continuing our player capsule series. Glenn's been kind of drawing for all of these so far, wall to wall stuff on the roster. Uh, we talked about all kinds of guys from, from Collins to Gallinari to DeAndre Hunter to the supporting pieces, Jalen Johnson, etc. All of that already on the podcast. Two or three more of those coming after this one. But uh, today's show is really all about Shedder on Kongwu and his development after his first two seasons, his future, and much more. But before that, I should plug a few things from last week. We had a two-part episode with Ben Pfeiffer on the NBA draft. Ricky O'Donnell, SBA, should join me on, on the show last week as well for the NBA draft. We have all kinds of draft coverage coming in about two and a half weeks now until the NBA draft. I know not everybody loves the draft like I do, but it's very important. It sort of opens up conversations for other things going on about the Hawks as well. So plenty of coverage here in the offseason. Basically, we don't take a break at all, at all in the offseason for the most part on this show. And uh, we definitely encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or YouTube or Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you like to find podcasts, we should be there. And I really appreciate all the cross subscriptions on all kinds of platforms and telling your friends as well. Auto downloads, ratings, reviews, everything you possibly do to support the show. I do, I do very much appreciate that. Please follow the show on Twitter as well. At Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to. At BT Roland. And after a quick break to hear the intro of this podcast, we'll be back with myself and Glenn on a hiccup. You are Locked on Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined again by my friend Glenn Willis. Uh, Glenn's been faithful enough to join me on a lot of these podcasts recently. Glenn, I appreciate all the time and uh, we'll be diving into a different player today. But uh, how are you on this fine Sunday as we report this? I'm I'm good. I, I'm in San Francisco, flew in this morning, and I'm getting some flack for not finding my way to the game <laughs> tonight. But I was traveling last week and obviously traveling this week, and it's just it's not going to set me up for success. So uh, gonna even though I'm probably only about 12 miles from where that game is going to take place right now, I'm guessing about that. I, I'll be watching it on TV like, like everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, like, like the rest of us. No, I uh, I appreciate the flexibility, and uh, I've been on the road too. Uh, so uh, diving back into it here, back at my uh, home studio and all those fun things. But uh, our uh, our agenda item on today's podcast is to talk about a young guy, and it's Anyeke Okongwu, uh, a pretty interesting player in a lot of ways. He is still only 21 years old. He'll be 22 in December. Uh, obviously has shown a lot of promise as we'll sort of dive into here, but I was reminded in looking up some stuff about a Kongwu, he's only played 98 games over two seasons and about 1,593 minutes, which for comparison's sake is uh, less than a lot of guys played this year only like on the Hawks roster. Uh, just to, if you combine the Kongwu's two seasons in the league, he still would have played fewer minutes than Gallo played this year only. <laughs> so it kind of tells you like how little, Akongu has actually been able to play, and obviously we know diehard fans would know at least part of you know most of that's injury related. Also, just the fact that he has Capella on the team, so there's some sort of a ceiling on how much he's going to play. But uh, you know, sort of broadly speaking, I wonder what your impressions have been of Akongu, uh, both I guess back to his rookie year, uh, rookie year as well, but also in his second season where he played 48 games and was uh, largely uh, good when he played. 
Yeah, he was really good uh, this year. Um, it was interesting. My first note here is um, can he take the wear and tear that he would need to as to be a starter? I know that you and I hear from a lot of Hawks fans who are like, let's make him the starter. Let's make whatever moves that you know need, need to make that happen. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that um, you know we uh, know the answer to that question yet. I don't want to suggest that the answer is no, not not at all. Um, but he's uh, a bit on the undersized side, uh, as we know, not by much, you know, but but enough that as a young, smallish kind of center, I think that is a big thing that needs to be kind of found out is, is could he handle like starters minutes? You know, can he give you 75 to 80 games of you know, 30 minutes a game, um, considering, uh, the, the, like you mentioned, the injury history and stuff. So for me, he's probably the the single player in the team I'm most intrigued by, like right now, I'm most like really interested to see like what becomes of him, especially going here into year three. Um, and there's a lot um, to be excited about, a lot of like uh, specific areas of potential I know we'll get into, but in terms of like what could they do with him heading into year three, I think that's probably my biggest question is, is you know, can he get to even 1800 minutes, for example, uh, without kind of uh, running into uh, several injuries uh, again. Ho- hope so, but I don't think you know until you kind of see that. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, um, it's sort of there's always context to these conversations. And we, like I sort of mentioned before, we know why he hasn't played a lot so far. He had a, he's had a couple injuries. He had a late start um, to his rookie season. Famously, he was hurt when they drafted him. They knew that, um, but they they took him anyway. And uh, he's also obviously had a backup pretty much a backup only role. There were times when Capella's been out, but other than that, he's never going to start over over Capella, at least in the recent form. And you sort of talked about one of the questions that we always get is like, why is he playing over Capella? And uh, you and I will talk about Capella on a different episode, but he's quite good still, Capella, obviously, and it's certainly a high-standing veteran guy making a lot of money and still a really good player. So interesting situation. And the other, the other big one, of course, is uh, there's a school of thought that Kongu is not a center because he's 6'8". And uh, that's the old school, uh, the Al Horford. I always make that comparison all the time about him and Al Horford because there was this always this chatter about how, I guess, whether Al Horford was a natural center or whatever it was going to be. And you know, 15 years later, he's still playing center and doing a good job. So I think it's uh, it's kind of a silly argument in some respects. But uh, the Hawks do view him as a center. I think maybe long term he could play a little bit of four at some point. He is a talented guy. He could definitely do that. But all indications, just as I sort of, I, I sort of lay the groundwork here, or that he is a center until otherwise noted. So just plan on that. Um, part of that is that he's not a shooter yet, which we'll get into as well. Um, but I want to start with the defense, actually, because uh, that's where he has really shined at times. And clearly that's what they saw in him. They talked about that a lot when they drafted him, uh, both before the draft and at the draft night. And then after that and the summer league and all that stuff, they always talk about um, his defensive upside. I think we've definitely seen that. He's super switchable. Uh, great athlete, great feel, does foul a lot, which uh, has kept him off the floor at times as well, going back to the minutes that we discussed before. But uh, what do you think of him defensively? The big thing, of course, is that he's a little bit, he's very different from Clint Capella, which makes it very interesting for him to play in that same role because it's not always the same role as Capella. But uh, what do you make of his defense right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's exciting to see, like, the things that he can do. And right now, I think um, you know, it's an overused phrase with the flashes that he's shown. You know, I mean, brilliant flashes, big clutch plays, like deep in the fourth quarter coming up with blocks, elevating his play uh, on that end at just the right time. You know, maybe he, maybe there's something to him kind of you – know, some players just know how to, you know, raise their game just that much more towards the end of the game. And, that, you know, we've seen a number of times where – when he's closed games, he's kind of, you know, 
come up with like dif- like critical defensive stops that really kind of helped them turn, you know, a, a game that was in the balance into a win. Um, you know, but you know the mobility is exciting. He kind of makes this, the the size work for him. Um, you know, he's I think he is stronger than a lot of people realize. Um, on a single possession, I kind of trust him to hold up versus kind of the bigger guys. The question is, can he do that on 50 to 60 possessions a game or, or whatever that might it might be? If it's Embiid, you know that sort of thing. Um, he he has obvious he has quite obviously the the ability to kind of get on the perimeter switch guard smaller guys guard the ball things like that and I but I I want to be a little careful in kind of throwing that out there too casually because I think a lot of Hawks fans think think that that's already kind of an automatic thing he has he's not he's pretty far from perfect in his technique when he gets switched onto the ball um and, and such not a surprise he's a young you know big man and and the NBA has the best ball handlers in the world, the best you know, creators in the world and stuff. But I, I think that he could um, kind of get uh, to a really, really high level there. I, I just think that it's important to note that um, he has some growing to do kind of in that area. If, if Hawks fans think we could just throw him out there and switch one through five, every minute he's on the floor, he, he's not ready for that in my assessment. Although the I think he's on a trajectory to get there maybe even at some point this year, uh, if not this year, maybe next year. So the versatility is like the, is the, you know, the thing that jumps out at you. And then when you combine that with his tendency to come up with, you know, really big stops at the rim on important possessions, that's pretty exciting stuff to me. We'll have more from Glenn and I in a moment, but first a word from our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is the number one source for all of the sports betting needs and information that you need this season. That includes, of course, the NBA Finals that are going going right now between the Warriors and the Celtics in the NBA space. But wall-to-wall coverage beyond that at Bet Online. Find all the latest odds, news, and developments in the sports world. That includes the playoffs, of course, Major League Baseball stuff, only this fights, even next season's NFL, college ball, and college basketball futures. The market is always open as you look ahead with some uh, future basic value, and that's always fun to evaluate this time of year. Bet Online also has all the information that you want, and that includes live betting esports, poker, casino games, and much more, as well as other sports that you might enjoy. And that includes golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, soccer, cricket, and entertainment bets, and anything you can possibly think of in the sporting space. They, they definitely have it at Bet Online. Head there right now on your computer mobile device to sign up all up right now and check out all of the stuff that you possibly could want and all the trends, all of the action. Tell your friends about Bet Online and find all the offers that they have all in one place at Bet Online. Bet Online, where the game starts. There's kind of a give and take with Akongwu versus Capella, which is an obvious comparison. They're on the same team, same possession, all that stuff. And there's that everlasting conversation about when you move on from Clint, which we won't do the whole thing now because that's not this purpose of this episode. But, uh, you know, part of the appeal, like you said, is the versatility, is that he can, at least in theory, be scheme versatile. He's not a seven-footer. He's not going to be seven-footer. He's not going to suddenly be a, a monster physically like that. But he is a great athlete. He is pretty long for his size. And the timing and stuff that he does really around the rim, the rim protection is really intriguing for someone of his size. Like he's got a solid enough block rate for someone his size. I think he's been blocking like two plus shots for 36 minutes in his career. That's totally fine. Uh, there's the rebounding question with him, which is always a question, at least a lot of questions for smaller centers. You know, famously, again, there's that Al Horford comparison where that was his, probably his number one weakness defensively was that his rebounding was not very good. And so far in his career, Kong has been a pretty bad defensive rebounder for a center. Now, that doesn't mean it will always be that way, but he does have that limitation that he's not a huge guy. But, you know, and drop it, they've kind of used him there. And actually, I want to ask you this question. Do you think that he 
has been able to kind of explore as much of what he can be than uh, maybe he will in the future. Because in my one of my theories is that they kind of had to build the system around Capella. And it kind of asked him to play Capella system a lot of the time. Not always, but but a lot of the time. Because And that makes sense. Like when you're playing your starter, who especially two years ago was like an all-defense level guy, you're going to build your system around what he can do. Uh, and Kong was going to kind of be asked to do a lot of that. Now, it's not always the case, but you think that's been sort of a theory of what they've been doing. And maybe we haven't seen all of what Kong can do because of that, because that kind of strikes to me as like a pretty logical thing. Like you're not going to build your defense around him necessarily yet because he's not the guy yet. Yeah, it's a great question. And there's so many different levels to the way, the way we can answer it and kind of, <laughs> yeah. kind of talk about it. Um, one is with Kong being such a young guy, it would not have made sense to this point to play a different scheme when he's on the court. He's been learning from Clint how to organize the team on the defensive end of the court. And when his job coming off the bench is to come in and kind of continue and provide continuity to, to what's been going on with Clint there, Kwangu's is going to be better set up for success if they don't if they don't take the approach where, okay, Clint, when you get in, we're going to go to switching one through four or switching one through five or whatever when Clint's been playing straight dropper, you know, and all that sort of stuff. With a young center that's kind of learning how to become really vocal and, and a strong organizer on that end, him replicating mostly what they have Clint doing game to game and across the regular season makes a ton of sense. Now, we're maybe at a fork in the road now, so I don't think there's been uh, kind of any missed opportunity, any serious missed opportunity there yet. But now that we're heading into year three, I, I do think you have to start kind of thinking about well, how do we optimize this, you know, young center that we invested a really high draft pick in and yeah. all that sort of, it has, has that. So, um, you know, I've been, you know, maybe I, I probably pay more attention to sort of how the organizing goes and the communication goes uh, than the average person. And he, he's, I would say like he's 80% there right now based on how he played like the final month, you know, two months of the season or so he still is, um, um, not quite as um, in, quite as in charge as you'd like to see, but he's still ahead of the curve for what you think a second year one and done, you know, center 21 years old. So that's not a ding at all. And especially considering, I mean, it might not like sound like a big deal, but you, know, you think he hasn't gotten to play in either summer league, which is where he could be given a ton of leadership opportunity, even in just like a week and a half to kind of go in and organize that, that team. And there's a lot of growth there that's been, unfortunate uh you know i, I can't imagine he's going to play summer this year but i mean it, we've seen weirder things happen i guess <laughs> you know yeah. he might and he might he might be one of those where he's there organizing and leading but not not playing we've seen that from kind of guys coming out of year two and would be surprised there but you know for me i when i look back i think the plan has made sense you know so far however now to kind of set him on kind of a, a more of an individual trajectory that's going to maximize and optimize him, it's going to have to look different than what they do with Clint when Clint's on the floor, assuming both guys are back and kind of, kind of playing again. So I think it's a great question. I think it's time to start seeing some differentiation. It's a scheme variance when, um, when Cog was on for Clint to, to get more out of him and to, to continue setting him up for the best kind of growth and development trajectory that, that, that he can have. Yeah, and I, like I said, I don't want to spend the whole conversation talking about like those two guys in comparison <laughs> to each other. It's just it is it's just very logical that you know if you're building your roster and particularly your defensive roster around a Kongwu, 
you would need to do it differently than you would with Clint. And that's just, that's the reality. I think, um, you know, whether you want to use creativity or versatility or whatever, how you want to describe that in a broad sense for your coaching staff and for your roster, it just, it's going to have to be different to make Kong move the best that he could be. And by, and by proxy, like if they were just to trade Clint, let's say, just as a hypothetical, and just kind of anoint Okongwu as the guy moving into year three, you would kind of have to spend part of your offseason figuring out what your defense was going to look like because it's that's what it that's part of the deal. It's not only Okongwu, but when he's your anchor at that point, then it's going to be it needs to be different because you get you, you don't want him dropping all the time like you do with Clint. You don't want him uh, limited to only he could do that. We see we see him do it. He he does, he does it just fine. But you want right. to at least use him use what he what he could do talent wise to maximize and also. Again, rebounding, I'm not, I'm not going to do that too much on this conversation, but uh, Clint, they basically have relied on to get every rebound for two seasons, and he's not going to be able to do that at a bare minimum. McConaughey's not is never going to be Clint as a rebounder. That's that's very clear. So uh, interesting stuff, and we'll get into the offense too. There are different players on offense as well, but it's it's just really interesting to me like what the next step is because, you know, it's not a secret. We've talked about it. We don't, And you and I are not the big, like, the big transaction guys, but at some point they're going to have to choose what they want to do at center. Uh, it may not okay. be now. This might be the time that, that they do it, but I think it, the way you put it is a good is a good way to put it. Like, at minimum for year three, if they're both still on the roster, they do need to probably give Congo a little bit more to do that's tailored to him, and maybe try to use that transition in that way. I don't know what that looks like necessarily, or how you scheme that, but I think it probably is time to kind of just take him out of that uh, out of the comfort zone that he's currently in now. I guess. Yeah, and and maybe to get to get into just a little bit more nuances, I, I know that. Um, it may seem like, well, the decision is to switch or not to switch. It's not just that. Like, no, it's it's a Kongu getting up all the way to the level of the screen more regularly than Clint does. You want Clint typically uh, not Clint can get up there and have, make an impact and yeah. recover fine, but Kongu has sort of could have an exceptional recovery ability so that you can get him further away and rely on him to kind of navigate back and get back. So it is not just switch or not switch. And then we talked about the continuity. You know, scheme continuity first. You know, two years here, and it's important to note that one thing that has to be different, and you you kind of uh, kind of started our conversation there, is that with Clint's on, the other four guys could basically just you know get out of the fast break, start filling lanes, whatever. Yeah. Because Clint's got the rebound. When even if they're running the exact same scheme, when the cog was on, he, a couple guys have to come back and help rebound the basketball. Uh, at least that's the case right now. So even if you're running the same scheme. Uh, some of the kind of the individual responsibility and um, and the way that uh, players need to engage in different kind of areas of play does change a little bit uh, right now. Um, yeah, now, Akagu could improve as a rebounder. And there's some things that he can do kind of technique-wise uh, and things like that, get himself in a little better position, um, you know, beat beat the you know his guy to the spot. Uh, and so um, – that's just kind of some still youngest kind of center stuff that can come along. So I don't, I don't want to cap him as a bad rebounder or uh no. And um, I, I don't mean to do that either. I feel like it's just, I like I've said this, I've said this on the show before, even I don't think it's a guarantee that he's always a bad rebounder. Agreed. I don't think he's going to be click Capella rebounding wise. That's no, like, I, I, I think, top, he, I think yeah, yeah. Rebounder. Yeah. right. I, I think he's going to improve as a rebounder. Most likely. I, I think that's almost natural. Like he'll get stronger. He'll get more depth at, at the tricks and all that stuff that you, that you need to be able to do. But like maybe he's just only average and average would be totally fine for what he actually gives you elsewhere. 
But I think you got you have to remember this, and you know, going back to pre Capella days from two years ago when it was Alex Lynn and whoever else, like you can't just suddenly rely on your center to get every rebound. And um, that's maybe that goes to the long term thing about like who you pair him with. That's a whole other conversation. But you need to at minimum have some more gang rebounding principles than you do now, where it's just a lot of get out of the way. Clint will take care of it. He's not going to be that kind of guy. Yeah. And the and if, if listeners want to watch kind of one thing coming you know, when we get to the new season is. You know, we talked about some of the tricks and stuff like that. The thing that is probably the, the most useful to watch is he, like right now, he gets hooked a lot. He gets his arm, he, someone gets into his arm and shoulder, kind of clamps, you know, one half of him, one side of him. And he, he, he finds himself in that situation way too much. He's got to learn how to keep his arms higher, you know, kind of get into space proactively and things like that. And that just the little nuances like that will help him uh, a, a ton. And he's, he's such a good processor you know mental processor and he's so has such good technique um discipline uh, and attention to detail in other areas that i i just expect that that that's more of that's going to show up in the in the rebounding too as he gets more experience we'll go to offense in a second but uh the last thing i want to make sure that we get to um is his fouling i mentioned it briefly um i don't think it's a huge concern and uh, to be fair he did improve his foul rate in year two is a little bit lower but uh, it seemed like almost Every game or every close to every game, he'd have two fouls in pretty short order. And it was kind of always it didn't bite them a lot because he had Capella. Like he wasn't expected to play 35 minutes and they didn't have to have such a short leash on him. But um, is it just a young guy thing for him or is that, is that anything that you're concerned about moving forward? Because I think his foul rate combined in his career is like, uh, you know, seven and a half per hundred possessions. It's it's pretty high. Yeah, it's this is where, you know, it's an issue for sure, but it looks differently than it normally does with young guys. Normally when you see young centers fouling at this rate, they're biting on, you know, pump fakes, they're getting in the air too, uh, too early, too quickly, too eagerly, um, and not able to kind of contain um, kind of their position. He doesn't get many fouls that way where he's kind of biting and jumping and things like that. He stays on the floor pretty well. Um, I think a lot of it is just learning how to do uh, the things even with good technique with a little bit less size. You know, I think officials um, officiate um, smaller centers differently. You know, optics yep. are different. You know, I don't want to get off on one of my famous officiating, <laughs> but but it's but it's it's a it's just kind of a reality. You know, when you're um, you know you know, challenging a shot for more of a neutral kind of position instead of kind of getting, you know, a really high kind of block point. It, it looks different to an official, and that's where that's going to come. So, you know, for me, there's not any kind of massive, like, footwork issues that's getting him uh, into positions where uh, offensive players can take advantage of him all the time. Like I said, he's not, you know, you know, doing a lot of the things that young guys who have foul issues do. It's a little bit different. But, so, you know, I, I think that's going to be fine. I think Another part of that, going back to the very first one we talked about, was just he hasn't had as many reps as you well would like him to have had by now, and yep. that you know that that is a, a huge factor. And maybe maybe the biggest factor when it comes to the fouling is just you'd love to have for him to have like forty percent more minutes than he has right now, or, or whatever. And that, and I think that would have resulted in uh, what I you know I refer to the feedback loops that kind of come along and help a player kind of grow from that. So I think the tech because the technique is pretty good and. That doesn't kind of show up there. I think it's probably mostly related to his limited number of reps so far, and I think that that's the reason to be encouraged for more improvement. 
Yeah, I think he'll figure it out. I think you're uh, you're spot on in that guys his size might get officiated a little bit differently. Also, young guys just in- inherently yep. seem to get officiated differently, uh, whether that's inherent or on purpose or whatever. Uh, I think it's not, and that's why I'm not, I don't really worry about. It. I think it, it, he has to improve, especially when he's the center uh, full time as sort of the starter or maybe more prominent role. He's going to have to avoid fouling to stay on the floor a lot more. But I think it's going to be. Uh, he, he has to do it, and also I'm not worried about him doing it. I think I think he'll be fine and figure that out eventually. Um, it's not it's not like a systemic issue, I don't think, for him. Um, let's talk about the office for a second. Obviously, we should get into you know the fact that he's been extremely efficient in his first two seasons. Uh, he had a 71% true shooting this year, which is uh, speaks for itself. That's an uber elite number. He finishes extremely well around the rim. That's not a big surprise. He's got great touch for a guy his size. It's pretty impressive he's able to finish the way that he does. He's not a seven-foot, like, dunk-only guy. And uh, to shoot, I think he was 69% from the floor this year. It's pretty tough to do that without being a seven-footer that's only dunking. And, yeah, he's not shooting jump shots yet, if he even will. We'll definitely get to that, too. But uh, I wonder what you make of his finishing because uh, it's definitely been as advertised, and I think his touch kind of also uh, inherently leads to questions about whether whether he can shoot long-term. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the elite finisher, especially when you um, you, know, you look at you know, he's basically been seventy eight percent at the rim, you know, both seasons uh, right there. Um, but th- you mentioned it too, the fact that when he gets cut off, he can adjust. Like even sometimes when there's a lob, he'll and he can't quite get to the rim, he'll cut the lob, come down, and just kind of go right back up with just beautiful touch. And that's something that Clint doesn't have. Um, no. <laughs> you know, and, he, and even when John's, you know, playing, when JC's playing at the five, you know, his, you know, he's not as, as broad-shouldered as the Kongu is. And John you know, takes kind of two or three kind of, you know, attempts together and kind of time his, I mean, a Kongu just catches and goes right back up with no kind of concern at all and has a nice kind of high release point in that, you know, you know, five to seven foot range, for example. And so, I mean, I, I, that's one of the reasons he's so intriguing to me is that he he pairs so well with Trey offensively, and there's other facets I know we're going to get into beyond just the kind of the finishing. Um, but I mean, I think he kind of gives you everything you could want there, uh, and and that I think that's especially important as we saw this year with teams uh, not playing straight drop and 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 really prioritizing bringing more bodies into the paint. The fact that if there's a body in between him and the paint when he's diving to the rim, that he still has something to work with that's very reliable is a big differentiator on offense uh, for them compared to the other guys that, that that play the position there. Yeah, he's got such great craft for a guy his age. I mean, he kind of came into the league with it in a lot of ways um, with the way he finishes and the way you kind of articulate the way he even just goes up to finish. It's not um, – it's very – it's very uh, – not deliberate. It's like more, I don't know. It's, he's pretty explosive. He's not this, like, I wouldn't describe it as like a hundred percentile athlete. He's not, I mean, he's a good athlete. No, don't, don't get me wrong, but he's not like a crazy, crazy leaper, but he does get up high for someone his size and really is in control of his body, which I think is really impressive. Um, you know, and the pick and roll game is interesting. I think he's got, he found some real chemistry with Lou Williams the last couple of years. That's been talked about a lot, even you know by us. Uh, the fact that kind of Lou uh, was big for his development, just the way that he was able to play with him and find some of those tricks of the trade. And he's not, he hasn't played with Trey an absolute ton. Like he plays with Trey sometimes, obviously, but um, I'll be interested to see how he sort of grows with Trey as a partnership there, as they continue to play more together. Um, 
what do you think of him as, as sort of as a screener? Because that's one of the questions about a smaller center sometimes is that like, are they a great screener? And Capella again, a really good screener. Um, do you do you mind that aspect of his game? Like, what do you see of sort of the in between stuff with him? Not necessarily just finishing around the rim and just shooting, but like the craft and the way that he sort of operates off the ball. You know, does nowhere to be that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, the, he kind of starts with the fact that, especially for a young guy, he's always looking for something helpful to do. So even if he's not in the primary action, he's kind of looking around, trying to create a little space. He's always looking to kind of, um, you know, ad-lib a, a hammer screen on the weak side and, you know, free up a shooter and things like that, uh, sneak down to the dunker spot, even if the play doesn't necessarily call for him to be there to get behind a defense that's loading up high. So, I mean, he has all great fill and great read um, in, in real time. And it kind of goes back to what I supported the great processing. The the ball screens, I think, you know, when there is some uh, some lack of chemistry there that you might see with Trey sometimes, again, it goes back to reps, I think. And the fact that he's been the backup center mostly, you know, and things like that. And, you know, one of the most brilliant reasons, uh, you know, for Travis to have gone out and got Clint was, that he ran a billion pick and rolls with Harden and, and kind of came, you know, to Atlanta with all of that. That's obviously something that Kongwu didn't have, you know, coming into the league, you know, um, having played one year at USC. Um, I know that there's been a lot of discussion around him playing with uh, Lonzo and LaMelo kind of, yeah. you know, in his high school days. It helped him a lot. Uh, they, I don't think they're running a ton of pick and roll, but he knew how to be a supporting big on offense at, at a pretty young age. And, that, and to me, that all shows up, especially when he's looking for helpful things to do. Um, that, to me, kind of does kind of map back to the role that he kind of played in high school. Um, so I think the the screening, can, the ball screening can get cleaner. The reads as to when he to slip that versus to kind of, uh, you know, finish the screen all the way through. Um, and, and But with, with his type of athleticism, I, you know, they don't often uh, what we call ghost screens where um, – you kind of step up to the screen and then not even slip it, but kind of you abandon it before you get there and clear out to create some indecision on the on the part of two defenders. You know, there I think with him, sort of like we talked about on defense, there's going to need to be a little bit of scheme and technique variance to kind of uh, separate him um, according to the unique things he can do. It's similar similarly on offense, this, the, his lateral movement um, and the way that he can kind of um, uh, operate after a screen is is a different than Clint. Like you don't want Clint catching the ball at the free throw line no. much much at all, right? Yeah. JC, you're you're more so comfortable there, but even then, it's taken to get to about year four before you kind of see some you know really you know pretty consistent reads there. A Congo is already you know pretty far along, and so part of like your I think part of the way you evaluate him as a screener is like, well, what are you trying to do with him after the screen? You know, and how, yeah. how are you trying to get him to move off of that screen, post screen, things like that? And that's where, I, you know, I know we'll dig into it, but there is a ton of potential there that um, could could change the way you kind of see him used as a screener. But I, I, he's good. Um, some of the nuance they need from him will require a little bit of variance, like, like uh, you know, handling him a little differently than you do um, Clint and, and even even JC in some ways too. 
Yeah, he is the most natural of the of their short roll guys, the kind of operating that mid area. Not right. not as a shooter yet, but as a as a decision maker. And he's kind of you know you mentioned I'm glad you mentioned about, about Collins because that was something he just didn't do at all early in his career, and now he's gotten a lot better there. He's he's making those passes, but he's never been the most natural guy in doing that. I think Congo's got great feel in that little mid range. He also has that little that little push shot already, which kind of goes back to the touch aspect a little bit. He's made he's got he's actually shot very well in that like five to 12 foot range as uh as is sort of defined by some of those uh shot metrics and places like that but i think that he really um will do well to hopefully find some perimeter shooting in the future that is one of the questions about Nyeka, of course um and i've been saying for a while that he could take huge advantage of this offseason as kind of the first time in his career he's actually been healthy for an extended period of time um when he wasn't playing games, because as you well know, like the skill development takes place for a lot of guys, especially young guys in the off season. And this is probably the flashing sign of the best time for him to potentially be uh, working on his jump shot. So I say all that, I'll give you the underlying numbers. He's basically not taking any jump shots in his career so far. It's basically some push shots and nothing else. Um, but he, he did shoot pretty well at the line this year, about 73%. That's not a bad number for a big guy in particular. Uh, that was an improvement from the, from the previous year. And even dating back to pre-draft stuff, people really thought that I talked to that saw him in workouts. Uh, there's always been a belief from the Hawks side that he will be able to shoot at some point. Now, whether that's going to be – he'll be John Collins shooting 39% from three. I don't really know if that's going to happen. But this is an organization, obviously a different coaching staff, but they turned some guys into shooters that weren't shooters under under this uh, sort of similar – I mean, Travis was here anyway with guys like Alex Lynn and Dwayne Dedman, and like it can be done. And I think Congo has the natural touch for it. But at the same time, you, you can't just assume he's going to be a great shooter. So that, that is a pretty uh, – I, I, I purposely waited a long time on this conversation to turn it into the shooting conversation because it's like – there's 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 room between like non-shooter and really good shooter. <laughs> That's probably where he's he's probably going to be somewhere in the middle of those things. Like I think Collins is kind of an outlier in just how good he's become as a shooter. That you can't just put right. you can't just bake on that. But I do think that at a minimum they're going to try him as a shooter at some point. Um, maybe in the mid range first before three pointers. But so, at some point that's going to be a swing thing for him upside wise like maybe he'll be more like bam out of bio it's a famous comparison he gets where bam's not shooting a ton of threes but he's a he's a reliable 16 foot jump shooter and a congo is not quite even there yet so i said a lot of words there glenn but what do you make of his uh shooting potential based on obviously we're kind of in the dark here like we're having to guess more than like the coaching staff would they see him they see him, they see him shooting practice we don't see we don't see that but uh based on all, all of what we know and the underlying metrics and sort of his touch is he going to be able to shoot you think yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I think your point about expecting him to get to like 39%, that seems un, really unlikely to me. Um, it's, it, it's plausible, but not, I can't, you can't say likely, that's for sure. It's plausible. Right. Yeah. And, and some of that comes from the shot profile. Like, is he, when he starts to shoot from three, is that mainly the corners? Like, yep. he might get the, he might be more likely to get to like 37 or something like that if it's mostly the corners, right? And the touch is is to usually the thing that um, is most indicative of whether that might be able to kind of come along or not. After touch, it's footwork. And, um, you know, I, I, remember I wrote, I'm not sure if you edited it or if you remember, I wrote his draft profile when I do. he came into the draft class. And I talked about, you know, the fact that his touch was uh, excellent, but his footwork was a mess. And so if he could ever kind of get the footwork kind of, uh, straightened out that that could come along. But for me, it's like when I 
I think of shooting, I think we have to ask ourselves, why do you want him to shoot? Like, what, what do you want to yeah. do with it? It's not just a matter of like, oh, let's get him to be like JC, he can finish at the rim and shoot. You know, for me, if he can shoot from the corner, that opens up his opportunity to play with different kinds of bigs than what he has right now. Because basically right now yeah. when he's on the court, he has to play with a, a power forward that's a shooter, right? And so if you can get him be able to be parked in the corner in the weak side corner and kind of be a guy who can catch and shoot from there, it opens up a lot more kind of different lineup constructions that'll work for you. Um, in addition to that, if you're having him work really, really hard on defense and some matchups, like getting him really up high at the level of the screen, being really aggressive, sometimes on the other end of the court, you want to give them a little bit uh, kind of lower energy responsibility, which can be kind of spotting up. You'll see with the Celtics do that right now. Like when Al is really getting up to the level of the screen and working really, really hard, that's when they'll more often kind of put him in the corner and give him a little bit of a breather on on offense. It'd be nice if if that's um, something that's in the in the in kind of the uh, tool bag, you know, this year is that, yeah. have that option. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, when he's when he has two fouls halfway through the second quarter. You know, a lot of bigs pick up the third foul setting the screen. And so get, having something else he can do where he's not as likely to kind of pick up that foul on offense is helpful too. So, you know, in a vacuum, I think the shot is going to come along and be something that kind of works for him. I don't I don't know if I should have expectations for him, say, two years from now, having an above-the-break three that defenses react to and care about. Um, but for me, step one is, um, you know, getting him to be kind of reliable in that range, short roll push shot range, sort of the Montrezl Harrell is, is what I think of kind of as the classic uh, kind of guy there. That I think is the next step for him. And whether we see this year or not, I think we'll see some of here is that, that corner three that, that might uh, be kind of part of his development now. But for me, I think the, and maybe this is what we'll talk about next, but the ball handling and passing is way ahead of the, like the, the, I mean, he's, I, I expect way more from him as a ball handler and a passer this year. I know we talk about his passing, but you know, he's got a pretty um, good developing handle too for, for a guy who plays the position he does yeah. uh, as well. And so that's the, that's the kind of the, the thing that will pop this next year, I think is more in that uh, ball handling and passing area. And then sort of the shooting trailing that I, I think is developmentally what we'll see kind of come along in the next um next year yeah i'm glad you said it the way that you did about um you know oftentimes it's like you know obviously you want everybody to be able to do everything and, and i get that but i think one of the underrated things that you and i talked about about, about john collins is the fact that he can play with different guys because he can do all those things and your point about a congo is a great one like yeah it'd be great if you could just shoot in a vacuum but part of that especially when you're dealing with a guy who's six eight at center is that maybe you have to pair him sometimes with a guy who can't shoot and right now you can't basically. I mean, you could try it, and but you're you're going to have real spacing issues if you're playing him with a non-shooter. Like, let's just say for wild example, there's the the Ben Sim, the Ben Simmons hypothetical that Hawks fans really enjoy. If if suddenly the Hawks had Ben Simmons playing with current Akongwu, that's a spacing disaster. Like you have two non-shooters, like complete complete non-shooter on the court, and that's that's tough. Obviously, they'd be great on defense, and there'd be there'd be ways to get around that. But part of the reason why Collins at least in, 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 in the eyes of us, I know I can speak for you on this one, I think is kind of underrated is that he can do both things. He can be your role guy. He can be your pop guy. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying that Kong has to be able to do all of that the same way that John does, 
but that's an underrated aspect of being able to shoot is these is the lineup versatility especially when again you are a little a little bit limited size wise it would be really really helpful if you can shoot um if he can't ever shoot like he could still be awesome that's the thing about a Kongwu, like i don't want it to get lost he could still be a really really good starting center without shooting he really could like that's he's, he's so good at everything else that he doesn't have to be able to shoot but it would be very helpful at the same time so um, before we get out of here, you right. sort of got you sort of got it too about the passing and the ball handling and the way he kind of operated that short roll area. Like his turnover rate went down a little bit this year, and assist rate went up a little bit. That's good. Um, still some rookie stuff from him. Obviously, um, basically he's been a rookie for two years. He, he hasn't played a lot of minutes, but the the natural ball handling, the natural talent there is way ahead of most twenty year old centers. That's for sure. Um, I mean, how you unlock that is a question or not, not, a, not a bad question, but it's one of those questions about, you know, offensive, like, I don't know, scheme wise, approach wise, how you maximize that. But he does have those skills already in a way that are pretty intriguing. Yeah, agreed. And it's going to be interesting to see how much of that they tease out this year and even early this year, you know, especially coming out of the Miami experience in that first round you know, uh, five-game series where the Miami just forced the ball to trade hands all the time and the Hawks struggled. Clint was coming back from injury, J.C. was too. But, I mean, we have to all admit that even if both of those guys were 100%, you know, J.C. is what, average for a power forward at best, you know, kind of operating that phase of the game. And Clint gives oh, yeah. very little. Um, that, and this is where Kongu could really, really unlock a lot of different things that they could do on offense. I, I you know, and part of that is, is not just the passing. It's not just him kind of turning and catching the ball and firing to one corner or the other or whatever it might be, or uh, kind of, you know, feeding um, the other big with a lob at the rim or something like that. Um, but even the ball handling to kind of get down here, create a shot for himself at the rim, I think is very possible this year if that's something that they'll empower him to do. Um, so, I, you know, he is already, in my mind, pretty significantly above average average for his position as a passer and the ball handling alone too. I, I don't think we've seen enough to really evaluate and say this is what he is as a ball handler, but the, what little we've seen has been encouraging to me. And, and, and in my mind, if they don't unlock him uh, to some degree in the short role this year, that's when I start talking about a missed opportunity uh, with a Kongu. Because this is, to me, this is the year to put him into that situation. Uh, and, and, and for example, let's say that a year from right now is when they is, is the optimal time to make a decision about Clint or Kongwu. Getting him into the short role this year and seeing what he can do is a critical kind of part of uh, something that should feed into a decision uh, like that. So um, I is, is probably this is probably the area of the game. Like I, I, I love watching him play defense, even though he's still a little mistake prone at times as a young guy. But in terms of what I am like most excited to see coming into this next season across the whole roster, it's probably if I had to rate, put it, I'd put a Kongu as a ball handler and passer, <laughs> maybe number one. I'm, I'm, I'm that excited to see what he could do. I'm not, you know, can't, I mean, I wouldn't be blown away if he turned into a dream on level, you know, ball handler and passer. You know, that's uh, what a really high outcome for him. I don't know how yeah. likely it is. I'm just saying, <laughs> I wouldn't be, his processing is so good. His feel is so good. Uh, he, he does things in real time so well. That it just it wouldn't shock me again. I'm not predicting that it's the likely outcome. It's just like I would be shocked if he's one of the best five big men in the league in a year and a half from now, or you know, going into year four or whatever. In in that area, we need to see more to know like how realistic that might be. Sure. I'm just trying to express how excited I am for what might be possible for him in that area. 
Yeah, he's super skilled, and uh, you know we said it in a number of different ways. But I, I am going to be. Fa- I'm still fascinated by. It. You can probably hear it in our voices if you're listening or watching the podcast. Like we're pretty fascinated about what this could look like for a Kong Wu. Um, and that leads to the decision they have to make at the position. And uh, people that know us know that we're both very high on Clint and we, we both like Clint a lot and we both think Clint's very good. So it's this really yeah. interesting, it's not a bad problem to have, but the way that I always put it is that you, you don't draft a Kong Wu at number six overall to be your backup center. That's just not what you draft that guy for long-term. And yeah. the first two years, that's totally fine. But now you get into year three and especially into year four and beyond, like he probably needs to be starting somewhere. Um, and it won't be alongside Clint Capella. Those guys don't really work together perfectly. I know that's a question we get all the time. And um, if a Congo could shoot, maybe they could do that a little bit, but I think I can't be, it's not going to be a primary look for them at any point. So I'll be fascinated by it. I mean, that's not really what you and I are here to do to talk about like what they're going to do there. We don't really know. People always ask me what they're going to do. And I, I mean, I still, I, I think that if I had to guess, it's more likely that they move on from Clint than they do from, from, from a Kongwu. Uh, I would say that um, I'm not going to say that that's, that's a definite. If they had to put a Kongwu in a star, in a star trade, they probably would have to do that and just kind of swallow hard and do it. But I think that's, he's on that list of guys for me, at least what I understand behind the scenes of, they're not going to trade him unless they have to trade him like for a star level guy. They're not looking to move a Kongwu. In fact, for me, he might be their second. He might, he, he honestly, he might be the second least possible guy to trade on the roster. Like obviously Trey's in his own tier, but in terms of what I understand about this situation, he's not their best player besides Trey yet. He could be in the future, but like if you go down the roster, it seems more likely that, JC is traded before a Kongwu or that Capella traded for a Kongwu. Even Hunter now, I think a year ago, I probably would have said Hunter, but after kind of a weird season for Hunter, I think it might be a Kongwu. Like, I think he's not going to get traded if I had to guess. So, long term, I think he'll probably be the guy and we'll see what happens. That's not a guarantee, but we'll be fascinated to see how they both mold the roster around him and also how he molds because, like, he's still so young. Like, we're really, like, we're really encouraged. I feel like I'm speaking for you, but you can weigh in too about, about what he already looks like through two years, but he's still super young, man. I mean, I said it before, but this is a guy who's 21 years old and he's played up less than hundred games in the NBA. Like there's a lot of untapped stuff here and, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed that he's healthy in year three. You can kind of, kind of see the full season of that. But um, I want to see what it looks like coming out of, coming out of the off season. I mean, you talk about summer league, I don't think he's going to play there, but I'd love to see him practice once like sometime. Like, I mean, I don't know. It'd, be, it'd just be fun to see like, like what that project, what that progression looks like from April to October like that's going to be a big jump and it could be a huge time for him in uh, in his development yeah and we had kind of had this conversation with Hunter but I think another part of like thinking about what he can do offensively if he can become more role versatile in offense is like if the future is then playing Jalen at the four and let Jalen become a, a power forward creator yeah. him shooting from the corner becomes really valuable and really important you know him becoming a connected passer and this is that is, is important. So it's kind of funny to talk about, like, I don't really know how much, how invest, how, I'm not saying they aren't invested in Jalen, but if they are this offseason heading into the next year, like, especially if Gallo does move on, if they become yeah. like really invested in Jalen, the way that they develop a Kongwu is critical for that. The way that Hunter is leveraged is critical for that because Jalen could have a really offensive role, you know, that, that has important, um, implications for how Hunter is developed and role defined. And I think the same thing applies to a Kongwu. And then the other thing is, you know, you mentioned on the kind of trade perspective, one of the reasons it's hard to trade him is that the, 
the, where the league continues to go at center, Okongwu does all the things that the teams are wanting the young bigs to do, right? Yep. More versatility on both ends of the court. And so from that vantage point, it's like you could get – it seems like there's a lot of teams that would love to have him, and, like, maybe someone would pay you handsomely to get him, and you have to think about that in a certain situation. Like I think about, like – yeah, and I, I've talked about this a little with Kevin, but, like, when you go where Toronto's trying to go with what they do on defense, like, Okongwu would be an incredible find for them and kind of fit what they do. Uh, and stuff like that. And, and it's not just them, but uh, I feel like Nick Nurse is kind of always innovating, you know, a sure. bit more than the average coach, things like that. So it, but that's, to me, that's one more reason to kind of hang on to him and to continue to develop yep. him <laughs> uh, and, and things like that. And especially if, if Jalen's going to kind of come in, if, if you're going to tweak Hunter's role, you know, what Congo can do, if you're going to like, hey, we want to reduce a little of Hunter's on-ball stuff, like getting a Congo on-ball in the short role and slipping and all that, I mean, all, these puzzle pieces are critical, and the fact that a Kongu has some potential in some areas that could really help him fit with those other young guys is a really important part of what Travis and the rest of the organization have to be thinking about from a roster construction perspective, and I, that's what makes it so interesting to talk about, I think. Yeah, it really is fascinating, and you know, I'd love to know how invested they are in Jalen. It's it's impossible to tell. Like they, he kind of fell in their lap in the draft, and then they went through a full season where he didn't they really, they didn't really play him, but that wasn't like an organizational thing. It was like just where they were. So I, I kind of have no idea. <laughs> uh, as, as much as we're trying to be plugged in, it's really hard to figure that stuff out. And yeah, I think that for all those reasons and all the ones we talked about, like Akongu seems like a foundational piece. And at the same time, there's always uncertainty for a guy who just hasn't played that much. I mean, I know we're we're very high on him. That's very clear in this conversation, but there's no guarantee that he makes three more leaps and is an all-star. Like that's not, I mean, there's that we're in that sweet spot of real uncertainty with him right now where he's never been a starter. He's never been the full workload guy. He does have the injury questions. He does have, um, you know, the role questions, all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's, we're very high on him. I think it's very clear. It's just really interesting to see it be other. I mean, it's kind of like Hunter, like, like you said, it's a very big year in terms of what you learn about him, both organizationally and just individually, like what's, what's he going to be long-term. And um, he's still very young. He has the advantage of being very young. That's a, it's a guy where like, if you're 21 versus 23, 24, that's a, that is an advantage to be this young on your going into going into year three. But um, we said a lot about him, but if you have anything else to add, Glenn, feel free. If not, we can get out of here, but uh, I know you're a, uh, you're a busy man out there on the, on the West coast. Yeah, and I, 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 that's from my vantage point. I hit, we had everything there. I mean, we're obviously, like you said, we're excited about him, and I think, I think the where he differentiates himself, like possibly, if not likely, from Clint and JC, is I think he has the ability to be, um, kind of provide equal value on both ends. John gives you more value on offense. Clint gives you more value on defense. If a Akonzo can kind of continue hitting his developmental stride growing he's one of those kind of rare bigs that could give you potentially i think equal value on both sides and that's really hard to find which is one of the reasons that um i, I agree with you that he's um unlikely to be traded unless you know a an incredible um some some superstar trade happens i, I just can't see him being traded any, any other way right now maybe i'm wrong but i, I i'd be surprised right there with you so yeah i think that that covers it from my perspective like I could probably do two more hours and dig way, way, way in, but that's not how. Yeah, you, so. you and I could go uh, super good on any <laughs> of these guys. I feel like uh, we somehow just did forty-five plus minutes on that without even breaking a sweat. I think, but uh, no, I, I appreciate it, Glenn. Um, 
please people uh, plug your, I know you're doing this all the time for me, but please plug yourself and all of, all of what you have going on, um, you know, beyond the, uh, beyond this podcast, because you, you have more things that you talk about and write about. Yeah. So if you're on YouTube, you see the handle there at Willis underscore Glenn. Um, as the, you know, I'm not sure when this is going to pop up right now. We're, you know, enjoying the you know, first few games of the finals and be uh, conversive on Twitter there. Um, I help now generate draft profiles, feature who's to follow our work. They're always proud of the work we do, uh, kind of digging into the draft class, and then 8-till-29 with Kevin. Um, we're trying to do about one a week right now, uh, kind of covering any Hawks news that pops, plus just observations on the on the playoffs as they continue. So that's where you can find my stuff, and uh, always appreciate follows and, and enjoy conversations and back and forth and all that stuff. Yeah, please check out Glenn's work. It is uh, outstanding, and I recommend it at the highest level. Glenn, thank you for joining me on the show. As for everybody else, Please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, all those places. Check out Glenn on ATL on 29, Peace Tree Hoops, et cetera. And we'll see you next time.